Love them or hate them, the most unforgettable video game worlds are usually buried in snow. In this special winter episode, friends and listeners of the show write in with the ones they remember most. Welcome to episode 6 and this very special edition of Screen Looking, a podcast where close friends take a closer look at their favorite video games. I'm your host, Andrew Kuhar, and today it is just me. You know, sometimes you just get really busy around the end of the year, and so you don't plan as much as you should. Sometimes you just need to keep things fun and light and simple, even if you're just doing a video game podcast, and hey, that's what this episode is all about. It's a busy time of year for me and everyone that I know, but I also love making time for this show, and thanks to a tall pile of submissions by friends and listeners from afar, I'm able to bring that easygoing attitude to today's episode. As listeners will know, I like to focus on one game per episode, and usually it's a game of my choosing, but in the spirit of the season, I wanted to hear about what everyone else was playing. So I asked around, what does everyone think of when they think about memorable snow-themed levels, worlds, and or regions in video games? Whether or not they're any fun is definitely up for debate, but I believe that a good snow-themed level will push any game to the absolute brink, both in its look and its feel. I gotta say, I was very, very delighted and surprised by the volume and range of responses that I got back, so I'm going to spend this episode opening up the mailbag and reading them all for you. So, if you're braving another Midwest winter like I am, if you're stuck in a slow, messy commute, or preparing for the holidays at home, I hope this episode affords you a little bit of joy, some entertainment, as we commiserate together about the harsher conditions outside. So, uh, this first entry is actually from a familiar person, friend of the show. That's Ryan from our last episode on episode 5 about Spider-Man. Thanks for sending this in, Ryan. Ryan submitted a level from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2, the arcade game, and that is the snow level called Snowfield. Uh, It wasn't in the arcade version, but it was added for the SNES home version. And uh, looking up a little history about this, it's pretty funny. Um, This came out in 1990, and the reason the game was actually even called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 was because there was already a game called Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the uh, Super Nintendo Entertainment System. If you look up a video of this level, you'll see that it's basically just a dark, empty snowfield, and deranged snowmen will attack you by jumping around and shooting rockets out of their stomach, and then they'll reveal later that it's actually these these bug-like flying drones underneath. Uh, if you look it up on Wikipedia, this this uh, this version of the game and this level in particular was also notable for featuring product placement advertising for Pizza Hut. Uh, there's Pizza Hut logos all over this level, and even in the rear cover of the instruction manual, provided a coupon for one personal pan pizza at the restaurant, and those came with an expiration date of December 31st, 1991. So I'm not sure you want to redeem those. Uh, thanks, Ryan, for sending that in. Hope to hear from you soon. Um, the next one is from another person named Ryan, Ryan B., and you're sure to recognize these two. The first one is GoldenEye007, and the level is called Surface. This game came out on the Nintendo 64 in 1997. Can you believe that? Uh, he simply says, that music. 
uh, because Ryan and I work together, I asked him to elaborate on this a little bit further, and what he told me was that it's iconic basically because it's the first time you get the sniper rifle in the game, which is very convenient because this level places you in the middle of a desolate Russian tundra, so you're in this giant wide open field that's barely, can barely call itself a level as far as I'm concerned. Um, but he noted that it had awful controls due to the Z-Trigger and single joystick analog controls combined. So yeah, hard to forget that one, but yeah, that music, look it up. Uh, this next game, again, sure to recognize, Final Fantasy VII also came out in 1997, but for the PlayStation. Ryan simply says, that damn snow resort where you have only one shot to get the Alexander Materia. Uh, from the Final Fantasy Wiki, Materia formed the basis of skill and ability systems for Final Fantasy VII and play a prominent role in character skills in other games. You basically equip these into your character's weapons and they let you do all sorts of things, anything from casting spells to summoning giant godlike deities, including the Alexander summon that Ryan mentioned in his story. Uh, you basically have to go through this giant maze of a glacier and he told me you have about... Uh, I played this game so many times, but even this was uh, stirring my memories up. You have to go through this giant maze in a glacier that is very hard to intuit. And then you have to jump up and down to keep your character from freezing to death. And if you're lucky, you'll find a character in a cave, fight them, kill them, and then you'll get this really giant holy behemoth. It's like you're basically summoning a, a walking cathedral and it just dominates uh, enemies whenever you fight them. So, yeah, hard to forget, uh, but somehow I did. Thanks for reminding me about that, Ryan. Uh, these are two great submissions. Continuing on the Final Fantasy VII train, we have a submission from Andy, a listener of the show. Thanks for sending this one in, Andy. He says, oh, hey, we have the same name. That's nice. Andy goes, my favorite winter setting was pretty difficult to decide. I ended up settling on the northern continent in Final Fantasy VII. Slight spoilers ahead, followed by a big one. After visiting the Forgotten Capital, the march into the permafrost sections of Gaia, which is the world uh, in Final Fantasy VII, feels like the party has abandoned hope and taken on an air of reckless abandon. Your friend is dead in an attempt to save the planet, yet in Icicle Inn, you see a ghostly but warm vision of their first days of life in an abandoned house. The party knows they can't stay, and so they leave the warmth and coziness of Icicle Inn. The party starts their march towards the northern crater. The great glacier is bleak, detailed, and cold. It captures the confusion of how to fight the main antagonist, Sephiroth, and how to deal with loss. Plus, there's the ascent up a mountain to the reunion. I remember thinking there was still time or going to be some method to bring Eris back. A replay later on makes the emergence from the forgotten capital feel even more stark, cold, and empty. Wow, yeah, that is um, definitely... Uh, uh, quite the unpacking of that moment from that game, Andy. Thanks for sending that in. Uh, Final Fantasy VII is one of those games that I think we're eventually going to have to talk about on this show for reasons like this. It is such a landmark game, and I don't know anyone uh, my age that has not played that game or not come across it. So, yeah, great to see some love for Final Fantasy VII. Jumping back to James Bond for a second, we have an entry from Michelle. She submitted Skyrail from Nightfire 007. This game came out in 2002. Michelle says, The stark, snowy atmosphere added to the bleakness and sense of urgency. Short and sweet. I like it. I think this tends to be a trend with first-person and third-person shooters, actually, in snowy environments, so you bring up something good there, Michelle. Thanks for sending that in. This next one, oh, this is, this is a good one. 
This comes from Corey. Corey and I go way back. Corey sends in a level, or actually I should call it a dungeon, from The Legend of Zelda Twilight Princess. It's called Snow Peak Ruins. This game came out for the GameCube and the Wii at the same time in 2006. And it also just recently got re-released for the Wii U a couple years ago. Corey says, I will say that, in general, I dislike snow levels. Wow, Corey, that's a hot take. Damn, laying it down. Similar to the dreaded water level, they are likely to introduce a change to the standard movement mechanics that can make the entire level feel like a chore to get through. That's a good point. There is one game, however, that has a snow level that was memorable for me in a different way than you might expect. In Zelda, Twilight Princess, there's an area called Snow Peak Ruins. It's an old, decrepit mansion that is home to two friendly yetis named Yeto and Yetta. As a sort of a side story to the whole reason you are there, you end up inadvertently helping Yeto put together a delicious soup for the ailing Yetta. That's nice. I remember this. Oh yes, the soup. At first, Corey continues, he just has a giant cauldron filled with some broth and fish, which the game calls, quote, simple soup. As you attempt to find what you came for, you instead find a pumpkin and later some goat cheese. Goat cheese! Which Yeto uses to produce superb soup, in quotes. The funny thing is, I didn't even play Twilight Princess. I watched my wife play it at least a decade ago now. Oh man, a decade. Anyways, whew. And yet, that soup lingered in my mind. Fish, pumpkin, and goat cheese may seem like an odd combo at first, but the more I thought about it, the more I could practically taste how delicious it would be on a cold winter evening. I found a recipe online somewhere someone had created Yeto Supreme Pumpkin and Goat Cheese Soup, and I've been making my own variation every year since then after the first snow falls. Thanks, Twilight Princess. And then Corey says, here's a link to the original recipe I found if you or your listeners are interested. What? Okay, this link is going in the show notes. I can't read it out because it's kind of long, but... It will be in the show notes. Check them out down below somewhere in your uh, podcast app of choice. Corey says, I recommend adding fish sauce to the taste and, of course, roasting your own pumpkins instead of buying the canned stuff. Yeah, I agree with you, Corey. Don't buy the canned stuff. Get the real thing. Thank you so much for sending that in, Corey. Corey and I go way back at art school and in college when we were studying game design, which is a big reason why I feel like I'm even able to do this show because I know how the hell to talk about these things. So, um, man, that took me down memory lane. Moving on, Uh, we're going to talk about a smaller game here, very briefly. Uh, A few people sent this game in for the exact same reason, so I'm going to bundle them all together. Jesse, Dan, and Sean all brought up Journey. Journey is one of my favorite video games. came out in 2012 for the PlayStation 3, and they all brought up the level, the mountain. And really, Journey doesn't really have levels, it has scenes scenes and i think the mountain is a very very iconic scene in this game when jesse submitted it he said journey's snow level and exploring what its metaphor can represent dan replied to jesse's comment and said came here to say this so dan concurs sean said there is a mountain snow level that was just amazing to me in that game so we're all talking about the same thing here Uh, i think some reasons that this level stands out is because the whole game you're really just running across sand dunes and then suddenly you're walking across snow so it's a big shift from the gold and rosy colors to blue and white and ice Uh, and i think that that level kind of encapsulates what it means to not face life's greatest challenges alone it's a very emotionally charged game and a very emotionally charged level 
Journey is a really important game in the medium and the industry. It's personally important to me and my appreciation of them as an art form. I feel like a lot of people still haven't heard about Journey, and if you haven't, you should go check it out. Uh, it's now available on the PlayStation 4, which I know a lot of you are getting because of those crazy sales that were going on, so look up Journey, get it. Uh, it's just really, really good, and uh, now that I think about it, I will definitely have to host a roundtable of some kind about it on this show in the future. So thanks for sending that one in. Again, short and sweet, but doesn't give anything away. I like it. Um, yeah, the mountain from Journey, penultimate level, very snowy, very dire. This next one comes from Josh. Thanks for sending this in, Josh. Josh actually interviewed me a long time ago for an issue of PC Gamer when he was still working at PC Gamer. And it was about some posters I did that were interpreting iconic moments from World of Warcraft before they changed a bunch of things in the game. I know it's like the nerdiest thing I could have possibly ever said right now. Uh, but Josh interviewed me about that for an article he was doing there and featured those posters in an issue of PC Gamer on a disc. And would you know it, Josh now works for Blizzard on World of Warcraft, I believe as a quest designer, if I'm not mistaken. So congratulations on that move up, Josh. That's really exciting. Um, very, very cool. I really appreciate you sending this in. Josh writes in, the first thing I thought of was Puzzle Agent, a wonderful little game from a decade ago where a clever puzzle detective is bedeviled by magical tiny gnomes in some snowy town in the upper Midwest. So many of the levels and puzzles involve snow, but the first one that came to mind is called Tracking Trouble, where you have to set up obstacles and barriers that will change the direction of the snowmobile as it travels to make sure it reaches the right destination. I vaguely remember the gnomes jumping out to attack me if I failed, but that's apparently not true at all, looking at walkthrough videos of it now. It must have been my imagination at the time, trying to terrify me into finding answers quickly. Those gnomes were terrifying, and being trapped helplessly out in the snow with them made it even worse. That sounds pretty scary, Josh. It sounds like you have some leftover uh, trauma from those gnomes attacking you. Don't let those gnomes boss you around, Josh. Not this season. Not this year. Thanks for sending that in, Josh. These next couple of levels come from Jake. The first one is Snow Barrel Blast from Donkey Kong Country, which came out on the Super Nintendo Entertainment System in 1994. Jake says, The first snow level, Snow Barrel Blast, was probably the first level that really stopped my friends and I. We had cruised through the game up until then, and that kicked our asses and the 20 lives we had amassed. Looking back now, I don't know why it was that tough. Jake is our second contributor to bring up Zelda, and he mentions the Ice Palace from A Link to the Past, which also came out on the SNES, but in 1991. Jake writes about this, More recently, the Ice Palace in A Link to the Past contains probably the most crucial skill-based strategy for speedrunning. A bomb jump across the moving orange and blue blocks, which allows you to skip two-thirds of a very challenging dungeon. It's the moment of truth for a beginning speedrunner, as you're probably not picking up hearts and upgrades to traditionally beat the dungeon. You have no choice but to bomb jump, dying and dying again. It saves minutes and not seconds, so it's worth it. My brother and I do traditional 2v2 Link to the Past speedruns on Christmas Day, and that made the bomb jump pretty interesting. In our second year, one team was several dungeons ahead and blew their lead at that spot. The bomb jump is pretty funny because it's almost like a boss as far as the run goes. I think I practiced it upwards of 50 times on an emulator. When it came time to do it, I couldn't pull it off. You only get around three tries with each game, since you're probably running on maybe 7 to 10 hearts max. Wow, that's pretty hardcore, Jake. I think I remember you 
mentioning this speedrun tactic to me when we were last talking about video games. I hope you continue this tradition this Christmas. I hope that you can successfully complete a bomb jump. Thanks for sending these in. Great submissions. Uh, this next one is uh, some more Nintendo love. This is from Bing. He writes, I love, hate, cool, cool mountain in Mario 64. Those penguins are cute, but they will drive you wild. I'm so glad someone mentioned cool, cool mountain. That was one of the first ones I thought of. Uh, that is a very memorable level. It has the giant ice slide in a black abyss where you race a mother penguin down the slide and the controls are so bad and so slippery but man is that level memorable the weird thing is if you look it up you're most likely to see videos of mario picking up the baby penguins and throwing them off the cliff what a dick i can just see myself now in my cousin's basement trying to figure out how the hell to beat that slide with the mother penguin Thanks for the memories, Bing. So we talk about Naughty Dog games quite a bit on this show, or at least we have in the past five, and Kevin brings up one we haven't talked about yet, and that is The Last of Us. He brings up the chapter Lakeside Resort. This game came out for the PlayStation 3 in 2013. Kevin writes, The winter chapter in The Last of Us is one of my favorite snow levels in a video game. When you play as Ellie for the first time, you start to realize that this is really her story and not just Joel's. The entire time prior to this chapter, you play as Joel so that you can protect Ellie. Joel becomes very attached to her, seeing her even as a daughter figure. But when he gets injured, you have to play as Ellie, and now it's her turn to protect her protector. The two have come a long way from being strangers to friends who risk their lives to save each other. Playing as Ellie and Joel really shows both perspectives on their relationship. When playing as Ellie, there's a feeling of vulnerability and loneliness. The snow reinforces that isolation and feeling of trying to survive, especially now that they're separated from each other. Ellie can't trust anyone, and when she meets David, things go sour. When they're apart, Joel does anything to find her, and it shows just how much he cares. The whole chapter really changes Ellie, from being innocent and naive to a hardened survivor. I could go on for a long time about The Last of Us, but this is what I wanted to share. I'm looking forward to hearing the podcast. It's great listening to Screen Looking. Thanks for letting us participate, Andrew. Ah, oh, thanks, Kevin. I'm really glad you enjoy it, and I uh, hope you enjoy what you're hearing so far, and I hope other people enjoyed hearing about your anecdote. This next level is also from a Naughty Dog game, and it comes to us via Jim. This is from Uncharted 2, and it's the prologue chapter of Rock and a Hard Place. This game came out on the PlayStation 3 in 2009. This is a very, very iconic prologue chapter. I will never forget the first time I saw this, and it was when I actually saw Jim playing it, and Jim says... When I think of snow levels that stand out in my memory, the train wreck in Uncharted 2 immediately comes to mind. The combination of the hostile, icy environment, Drake's injuries, and the train rapidly falling apart sets the expectations for the protagonist's tenacity throughout the entire adventure. It also sets up the environment as one of the key antagonists. Nathan Drake hanging on to those frozen metal railings might not have the same cultural reputation as John McClane's walk on broken glass, but it left a similar impression on me. Wow, yeah, I will never forget the first time that I saw this, and it was when Jim was playing it, when uh, actually he, Corey, and I were all in art school together, and we were about to go on winter break, and our department just got a PlayStation 3, and we busted this game out. What a great thing to reference. Uh, Awesome. Thanks for sending that in, Jim. This next one comes from our other peer and buddy in our art school days and that is from matt wow we're stringing these all together i just put these in the order i got them but look at that 
Matt writes in about Max Payne, a game that came out in 2001. Who doesn't know or hasn't heard the name Max Payne? You can just see Max Payne's face right now when you hear that name. If you can't look it up, you will never forget it. Cannot unsee Max Payne's face. Anyways, Matt writes, My favorite level isn't even a level. It's the whole game. Max Payne 1 is a story told in the dead of winter in New York City. The weather in the game starts off snowing, and while Max's situation gets more and more desperate, the weather worsens the further he goes down the rabbit hole. The city feels like it's in lockdown blizzard for a good part of the game, and this adds to the sense of isolation and makes the outside feel like a truly inhospitable environment. I can't remember, but I think the whole game takes place at night, or with such rough weather that you couldn't tell what time of day it is. You get a little sense of warmth or refuge from the cold outside in the vast warehouses, rundown apartments, back alleys, and subway stations. Burning trash cans and Max's loud shirt are the only things to brighten up the scenes. Great memories. Oh yeah, great memories indeed, Matt. Thanks for sending that one in. Max Payne, an iconic game. What would we have without it? We wouldn't have bullet time, that's for sure. This next one comes from a good friend of the show and a very dear friend of mine, Alex, from episode one, our inaugural episode. Uh, Thanks for sending this one in, Alex. This is great. Of course, Alex is going to write in about Banjo-Kazooie from the Nintendo 64. It came out in 1998. And Alex writes, My favorite snow level is easily Freeze Easy Peak from Banjo-Kazooie on the Nintendo 64. It has everything. A family of lovable polar bears, sled races, a giant Christmas tree, and a tremendous skyscraper-tall snowman. Yes, that's right, this Frosty could deliver a mean haymaker to Godzilla. It's cozy and eclectic, and just by traveling the level, I felt a little chillier, a little more excited to play in the snow and throw snowballs, or to have a nice warm mug of cocoa. I wanted to burst the door of one of the charming log cabins and hibernate for the winter, no doubt like Banjo the Bear was apt to do. But the fun doesn't stop there. To brave the icy waters and complete some of the level's challenges, you have to turn into a walrus, sort of like that stupid Kevin Smith movie, Tusk. (laughs) Only here the plot, which I might add features a talking bear and bird, and a hippo with pantaloons and a pirate hat, makes a ton more sense. On my first playthrough, I stumbled across a cave which housed a magical-looking frozen key behind a sheet of translucent ice. It was beautiful, unlike anything I'd ever seen in the game, and no doubt opened the doors to treasures beyond my parile, 11-year-old brain's understanding. Bewildered, enchanted, and excited, I spent hours trying to find out how to break the ice and get the key, but it was all in vain. Only years later did I discover that the key was an unattainable easter egg. Well, unattainable unless you knew the secret code to hammer into the sandcastle floor in another level, Treasure Trove Cove. The phrase, quote, Now you can see a nice ice key which you can have for free, gave me an ear-to-ear grin seven years in the making. And that is why Freeze Easy Peak is still my favorite snow level to this day. I think it is kind of impossible to talk about snow levels in video games without bringing up Banjo-Kazooie. So I'm very glad that Alex brought this game up. Uh, This next entry is a short one. Comes from another person named Alex, listener of the show. Thank you, Alex. Uh, Comes from a game that I'm surprised no one's mentioned yet, Metal Gear Solid. Game that came out in 1998 for the PlayStation and was remade for the GameCube in a game called Twin Snakes, 2004. Alex writes, The snow in that game was atmospheric and it had a mechanical impact at well. It made the world seem harsher. Couldn't have said it more succinctly myself. Thanks for sending that one in, Alex. Megan! Megan says, Ski Free! Who can forget Ski Free? For Windows, on PC in 1991. Megan says, I loved that game. 
The Abominable Snowman was the best part. The Abominable Snowman that would rain down hell on you and eat you instantly and was unavoidable. That snowman? I think that is a... That is a bold statement. I appreciate that. Maybe someday we will escape the Abominable Snowman. Uh, this game... I actually looked up a little bit about this game. If you go to a website, ski.ihoc.net, there is this entire story from the developer of this game about how this thing even found its way to Windows. The developer writes, Deciding it was time to learn Windows programming for Windows 3, which had just come out, I jumped right in and did a graphical version of my old Vax VMS skiing game for VT100 terminals. Don't know what one of those are. Sounds really complicated. Anyways, he writes, I wrote Ski Free in C on my home computer entirely for my own education and entertainment. One day while I was playing with it at work, the program manager for Windows Entertainment Pack happened to look over my shoulder and immediately decided he had to have this game. I called it WinSki, but the Microsoft Market Roids hated it and decided, for inscrutable reasons, to call it Ski Free. After some token resistance, I let them have their way. Since the program was not originally a Microsoft product, Microsoft licensed it for me and paid me some trivial one-time fee, something like 100 shares of Microsoft stock, no royalties, for its use. Well, I'll tell you what, I don't know how much a share of Microsoft stock is worth, but I imagine it's pretty good, and I hope that you hung on to those, and I hope you got something for that, because everyone knows this game. And to be honest, Ski Free is a much better name than Winski. Our next level comes from Alex, our third Alex this episode. And would you know it, it comes from a game with a 3 in it at the end, and that is Sonic the Hedgehog 3. This game came out in 1994 for the Sega Genesis, and Alex writes, Picture a late summer afternoon in 1996. I had replayed Sonic 3 over and over again, only to abandon my ventures late in the night due to what should have been an easy obstacle. A maniacally jolly bobbing platform that rode like an unlucky elevator in hell with repeating clown music that no therapist can rid from my mind? I may have sneezed or dropped the controller or something, I can't explain it, but I was able to get down and walk about two feet to the end of the level. There were icy xylophone beats with a hip-hop yeah on repeat. My hands quivered, sweaty palms desperately in need of a Cheeto break, my eyes turning blood red hours ago. Only I wasn't ready for what was about to follow. The intro fades in. Ice cap zone one. The years of disappointment, feeling inadequate and of utter despair, completely evaporated into thin, icy air. Sonic starts by kickflipping onto a snowboard down a hill that is almost completely vertical and carelessly slams face first into a perpendicular wall only to be covered in an avalanche. He spin dashes through ice columns and past crystalline wall urchins that would surely send all the rings you just collected shredding that hill spilling everywhere. Even the ice is trying to kill you, he writes in all caps. Sonic's friend, Tails, is dead at this point because he just takes the shortest, not the safest route towards you, and he has flown eyeballs first into frozen spikes or been impaled by a 12-foot intentionally sharpened icicle. As you continue into the depths of the icy cave, you wonder how any engineer could keep up with the maintenance of an ice facility that only employs swinging chariots. Hit the wrong spring and you're face first against permafrost. By the end, you're just outside again where an angry robot just wants to have a snowball fight with you. And that was all considered fun in the 90s. 
I know you might not be able to use most of that, but I just wanted you to imagine it. Hope all is well, buddy. Uh, thanks, Alex. I hope all is well with you too. Thanks so much for the submission. That I didn't play a lot of the Sonic games, but they were tough, and I can very much envision what you are saying now. So your mission has been accomplished. Thanks for sending that one in. Before we get to our final entry, I'll throw my level into the mix. And of course, it's going to be a level from the Crash Bandicoot trilogy, and that's Crash Bandicoot 2, Cortex Strikes Back, Snowgo. It's the first snow level in the entire series, and the first one in that game. Crash usually takes place in a mix of warmer climates, like jungles or industrial environments, like factories or sewers and whatnot. So seeing the uh, bright orange marsupial against this white and blue background, sliding across ice and running through this frozen over canyon or mountainous part of the of the islands was pretty surprising back in 1997 because the series didn't lead on that it was going to go to a place like that especially when you're playing a game like that over the holiday break i'm actually more fond of the original version than in the remaster probably because it was more of a surprise back then you could actually see crash's reflection in the ice on the walls it was almost like a mirror and seeing something like that back then in the late 90s was pretty surprising for video games to actually have a believable reflective surface in a game these were some of the toughest levels in the series as well i felt especially as the snow levels kept going on in crash 2 they always had the most intertwining secret paths the most hazards of course there's tons of icy surfaces that you would slide across and you'd start running way too fast on you'd fall into a uh frozen body of water and come out the other end like an icicle um so to that point you know there's a lot of comedy in these levels too that you didn't see in the other levels i really loved in this this level how you'd start to see crash do different idle animations so if you don't move the character for a long time they change it for just this level he wouldn't just sit around tapping his foot he'd start shivering holding his arms he'd start blowing on his hands for warmth so it was still fun and even when you're failing you're something funny happens uh, or the level actually just felt really cold, so there was a totally different atmosphere going on in the level and kind of made you, kind of egged you on to like complete the challenge. So, yeah, the uh, the snow levels, especially Snow Go and Crash 2, always, that one always stands out for me uh, looking back. And would you know it, we are here at the end of our submissions. Our final snow level is actually more of a zone. A couple people enter this, including Simon and my brother Nick, who you'll remember from our last episode on Spider-Man, and that is the snow regions from The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. That includes the Tabantha Tundra and Tabantha Frontier, the Hebra Mountains, and Rito Village. Simon says, The cold mountains in Breath of the Wild were fun. There's a hidden shrine that you had to push a snowball down the hill to unlock. That was thumbs up emoji. I'm really glad that Nick and Simon actually brought this region up because my personal favorite area in Breath of the Wild was the Rito Village, which is nestled right in the middle of all these snowy valleys and the really, really tall mountains in the northern region of the game. And I just found it to be incredibly charming. Earlier in the game, if you get, uh, if you put some extra effort in, you'll get this item called a warm doublet, which is this, uh, thicker vest that Link can put on and it's actually very reminiscent of his classic green tunic. It just so happens that if you go to colder climates in the game you can freeze to death and having warmer gear on will help you endure these areas. So by the time I got to Rito Village I was all ready to go straight into the mountains and go on another adventure and I just felt like that whole all the things the game was trying to do came together at that moment. So that's actually standing out pretty recently in my memory from that game in particular. 
bookending things here with our uh, episode five alumni. My brother Nick also wrote in, and he simply said, I think of the snow passages in Breath of the Wild. When I asked Nick to elaborate, he simply said, just eating the hot peppers. Thanks for listening to this special episode of Screen Looking, and thanks especially to everyone who wrote in. If this episode has made one thing clear, it's that video games and winter have a long-standing relationship, for better or for worse. I hope you enjoyed this one. I'd also like to give a special thanks to Pontus Holtgren, a freelance composer, orchestrator based in Sweden. Today's episode started with a song called Buried in Snow, a theme from Final Fantasy VII that Pontus remastered and generously shared with me so that I could share it with you on today's episode. If you'd like to hear more of his work, look up Pontus Holtgren on YouTube. You can also find that link directly in the show notes. Since the podcast started, we've extended our reach quite a bit and are now available on pretty much every podcast platform, including Stitcher, Google Podcasts, of course, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you enjoy screen looking, please consider leaving it a review wherever you enjoy podcasts from. It's the best way to help us reach more listeners like you. We'll be returning to our usual programming for episode 7. Make sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss it, and we'll talk to you then. Again, I'm your host, Andrew Kuhar. Happy holidays and happy gaming. Happy gaming.